0: Welcome to STAT, I'm telling you all, medical true crime stories, and it gets bizarre. Karen Wickiam, yeah, she used to work in ER, and now she's sharing the knowledge, so let's get involved. Funny and scary at the same time, medical mysteries, all facts, she ain't lying. (laughs) So tune in to STAT if you dare, cause crazy things can happen anytime, anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Bystanders
1: watched in horror as a rented van was driven at speed from a busy street onto a sidewalk full of people. Shoppers, commuters, students, and residents were among the victims.
0: He just went on the sidewalk. He just started hitting everybody, man. He hit every single person on the sidewalk. Anybody in his way, he would hit. I saw about three or four bodies lying on the grounds. Other people were getting CPR. And I had to go back and relay that information to him. I just stayed in the Starbucks and saw there's a white truck. Uh, go to the side sidewalk, and uh, so many people
2: just uh, sh- uh, shouting, "Stop the car!" But he didn't. He just uh, kept moving. Come on, get down! Come on, get down! Get
1: down!
2: Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. This is Karen Wickham I am the host of Stat: Shocking Traumas and Treatments, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And the fact that I'm from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada, is the reason for this podcast episode today. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Mary.
3: Hello, thank you.
2: And we're here to talk about the massacre, the disaster that happened where a sick SOB hopped into a truck and ran down and killed 10 people and injured over 15 people last Monday. So we're here to talk about it, and we wanna talk about it from different directions, of the victims and the monster that did it, about how amazing our police responded to this, our 911, and the hospital that received them. We wanna talk about this idiot and what drove him Allegedly, I hate the word allegedly, but drove him to possibly do this and talk about the incels. And last but not least, I want to talk about the victims and honor them at the end of the show. Okay, so <laughs> that's a mouthful. Where do we want to start? Want to you know, start with how this all happened?
3: So Monday we were heading to an appointment and I picked you up and I turned the radio off. You're not a big fan of listening to radio in the car, especially news. And I'd gotten an alert on my phone indicating about a breaking news story. And uh, when I read the contents, I couldn't quite believe it. I thought, oh no, we've become one of those cities that's had one of these attacks where people take a vehicle and run people down. Is this terrorism? We didn't know at the time whether this was related to some religious extremist group or what was going on, whether it was a tragic accident, uh, in this case it was, but it was intentional. And so when you got in the car, I said, uh, I turned it off the radio and I said, I don't think you want to listen to that. And of course, then you immediately wanted to know what was wrong. Exactly. Maybe if you just turned it off and didn't say anything, I wouldn't have been so curious,
2: but I understand that, uh, you are well-meaning. I tend to get really worked up over these types of things and well, who doesn't, but, uh, I appreciate you trying to protect me, but
3: I don't need to be protected, my love. <laughs> I just know your heart, and I know how it aches when things like this happen.
2: Well, thank you. That means a lot. It does, but we we're living in a, in this kind of world, and we have to be aware, and we have to be able to protect and help help ourselves, help each other. One thing I want to touch back on one of the things you just said is that we you weren't sure whether it was a terrorism attack by a religious extremist group and I think it's important that we do touch on that because oftentimes people go to that think it's that immediately think it's that's the worst thing and I I know that's not what you meant when you said that I think you were saying that holy crap we don't know what it was but unfortunately a whole community was completely accused and attacked for something that they had nothing to do with. And they are treated horribly because of what they what their religious beliefs are and what they look like and how they live their lives. And that's just, that makes me sick. Because that type of terrorism has nothing to do with religion, but it has everything to do with hate. So I just had to get my two cents <laughs> in, in there. But of course, this was an act of terrorism. And it was driven by hate, but not by people that generally, people that generally get uh, accused of it when they, they've not done anything. So, anyway, let's move forward from that. Let's talk about what happened. So, on Monday, April 23rd, at uh, approximately 1.30, a madman in a rented white rider truck mounted the sidewalk of a busy intersection of Young Street and Finch and struck dozens of people killing 10 and injuring 15, like I had said. The van proceeded south on Young Street for several blocks toward Shepherd Avenue, the next major street intersection. It took less than 25 minutes. The van struck down people in a deliberate killing rampage. The van drove 2.2 kilometers before it stopped on a sidewalk, and you could see the front end was severely damaged from hitting people. Once it stopped, the suspect, Alec Manassian, was taken into custody without one shot being fired. Video of the arrest shows Constable Ken Lamb arriving to confront a man who was standing next to an open driver's side door of the white van. His arm was outstretched, pointing a black object at the officer, saying he had a gun, and told Constable Lamb to kill him. Lim had the siren turned off on his police car so he could hear what Manassian was
3: saying. I think he actually had it on and then went to turn it off so he could hear what he was saying. I think that's what I read in a report.
2: Yeah, that that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. But I'm glad you clarified that because <laughs>
3: it might not have sounded like that. But absolutely, that's what he did.
2: He couldn't hear him. He had the siren turned off. So that, again, keeping his head calm and clear that he didn't just start shooting this guy because he was waving a black object at him he wanted to know what he was saying so getting back to what we were saying manassian was asking or telling the cop to kill him taunting him he was taunting him yeah so constable lamb just ignored him he advanced slowly towards the suspect who then dropped what he was holding which happened to be a cell phone no shots were fired cool heads prevailed Constable Lamb is being hailed a hero, but he is uncomfortable with this because he was just doing his job. That's how he sees it. I love him for that. I'm proud of our police force. They performed at their best in the worst situation. It wasn't just the police that performed at such a high level. All 911 responders did, including the staff at Sunnybrook Hospital and the citizens of Toronto themselves. EMS arrived and triaged and provided immediate care to victims. It was well organized. Everyone worked together. Roads were blocked. Streets were managed. Another remarkable thing was the response of the public. Witness reports, as well as those who were present, stated that people were helping each other. While people fled to safety, they also helped others as well. Direction that was given by security police and EMS and fire were followed and respected. So let's talk about our everyday heroes. Many people jumped in and helped the victims. They provided first aid, CPR, protection without any regard to their own safety. Here is a report from one of the Good Samaritans, Diego DeMatos, who tried to save victims.
0: And then at first I thought it was a hit and run. I had a friend in the car with me and uh, I said, oh my gosh, that guy just hit two people and kept driving, and then I think he hit, he must have hit the car or um, a pole, I don't know what he hit, and then went back on the sidewalk and, and, um, and stopped. Um, and then people start screaming, it was that truck, it was that truck, it was that truck, and um, people start panicking at this point, because there was blood gushing out of the guy's head. Um, and the lady was, was bleeding really bad as well, and then I slowly, um, kept driving because there was a lot of car behind me and um, as i drive a few meters up north um, there's about maybe four or five bodies again on the floor and people screaming crying and uh, looking panicked there's broken um, bus shelter uh, garbage cans everything on the pavement in the middle of the street and um, and i keep driving a little bit more and then i see all this panic and this guy asking for help, and then uh, I pulled my car over to the side and went over to him in the middle of the street and uh, tried to help him um, by doing CPR on this guy, and uh, but he was dead. Um, so he basically just passed away in our arms. Sorry, I, I get emotional just seeing his face again um, in front of me. Um, so we waited for the police and. Uh, and the paramedics and firefighters, everybody came. We backed off a little bit and waited to speak with them. And yeah. as we were waiting, a lot more police started to show up, and then they started um, removing everybody um, from the scene. It was uh, it, it was like a movie scene. It was like a war zone. I couldn't believe what I was seeing, what was happening in Toronto. So we waited a little bit longer and then after that we got back in the car and we started driving again and as we're driving slowly up we see more dead bodies on the floor and and, and people that just in pure panic and crying and screaming and calling 911 and um, this all happened in maybe eight um nine blocks um i don't know how how far it was but it was a, a long stretch of road and um uh, it just seemed like he was going on and off onto the sidewalk, on and off, on and off, on and off. And um, I tried to help the guy, but it was a little bit too late.
2: Another eyewitness, Christian Ali, said he saw victims' bodies with varying degrees of injury or deceased.
1: Well, I wasn't too sure what was happening. I was heading northbound and it appears I approached the scene just minutes after everything. I. I passed a a gentleman who was unconscious at the side of the road. He had no shoes on. There was a bunch of car debris, but no car. So I thought maybe it was a hit and run. Uh, There were people around him just completely confused. I continued north and probably about 10, 20 seconds later, there's another gentleman on the other side of the road, so that's a good 60, 70 feet. And uh, there was a police officer leaning over, embracing his neck, talking to him. He was, he was moving, so I could tell he was alive. And I thought, you know, there's some, a lot of bad accidents in just such a, a short space of time or short area. And then about 10 seconds later, I happened upon a, a lady, and she was face down on the sidewalk, mm. um, you know, and, and surely deceased at that point and it started slowly, it just started quickly coming together. It, it, was, it was surreal. And then probably about 10 seconds after that's when I got to to Young and Finch and there were probably about 20, 30 people standing around, four or five people on the sidewalk, a number of pedestrians frantically performing CPR on some of those people. There's a lot of blood and, and just mass confusion. It was very tragic.
2: There are many more witness statements just like this of the tragedy and, like I said before, put in themselves in harm's way to
3: help the victims. I um, have a friend who lives up in that area, and she has a, a new baby. Well, not a new baby, but about eight months old. And I didn't think of it at the time, but then I saw a Facebook post, and she had noted that she sometimes does walk in that area, but on that day she didn't, and I'm so grateful and thankful that she didn't. And I have another friend who actually works up in that area as well too, so very grateful that they were both safe. I feel very sad and uh, just heartbroken for those who were affected by this. And also those who maybe weren't injured physically but witnessed this incident. There were several reports from drivers who saw this and, and were in disbelief and couldn't believe this was happening. and. There was one particular young man I heard being interviewed and saw on CP24 and I'm sure this man is going to need some sort of counseling. I I know they have those through victim services and stuff with our, uh, our EMS and 911 services and police services and um, you could tell that this guy was really shaken up and he just felt so helpless. He, he tried to somehow warn people or stop the other driver but he was really shaken up, and I'm sure that he's going to need some sort of counseling. And I hope and pray that those who are in that situation do seek out help and, and get it, because they will need it.
2: Absolutely. You see that in a situation like this, you've got your primary, secondary, tertiary victims. It just doesn't stop with the victims, the, the, it, the people that are in the first line of of the, of the crime. So many people are affected. And it's important for me to say that anybody who is from the Toronto area that's listening to this and you feel any kind of anxiety towards this, please talk to a friend, someone that you love, someone that you trust, your doctor, whoever it is, because it's okay. It's okay to feel this way. This is scary. And we can all get past this, but don't hold it deep inside. Talk about it. Seek help if you need it. There are, unfortunately, countries, our neighbors, the U.S., have dealt with so much tragedy over the last couple years. And they're strong, and they fight through it, and they help each other out. And we're Canada, the North, the great, and we we can get through this too. Sorry, I just want to back up and say I'm so glad that your friend is okay as well. And it shows that it's that quick and that fast and that simple. It was a gorgeous day on Monday like beautiful was it 17 18 degrees out that day yeah, it was the
3: first nice day of spring yeah
2: so let's all get out and walk around you know maybe start to like smile and wave and say hi to the public instead of hunched down in our jackets and just trying to get from A to B okay let's talk about Sunnybrook Hospital they were the trauma center that received the deceased and the victims Sunnybrook Hospital is Canada's largest trauma center and on that day they called the code orange so what is a code orange? It's an emergency code that notifies of a mass <laughs> mass casualty event. It's something that all ERs train for, but for a trauma center like Sunnybrook Hospital, being able to handle a mass casualty has to be like second nature. It's organized chaos, but don't let the word chaos fool you as everyone works to keep it very calm. Everybody locks into their role. Cool heads prevail. You become super focused. Everyone is at their best. When a call from a mass casualty comes in, teams are picked. Rooms are set up accordingly with your IV lines, lines for blood. Crash carts are at the ready. And all the necessary life-saving equipment, drugs, and supplies are at hand. All available hospital personnel are called to the ER. Doctors, nurses, RTs, lab... X-ray, CT, everyone and anyone who has the skills to work a trauma is called down. The anticipation is awful. I can tell you from experience, your anxiety mounts. The adrenaline is running high and every minute feels like an hour. And then when the ambulance arrives, it's the other way around. The hours feel like minutes because you have a very short period of time to, to save people. And it's what ER nurses and doctors are trained to do. It's what we live to do. Training for such mass casualty events is always ongoing at trauma centers like Sunnybrook. Miranda Lamb was the trauma nurse in charge that day. And I've got a few quotes from her. Quote, every drill that we have has made us a little bit better at responding. There's always opportunity for improvement, but what we have learned from the past year through the drills was helpful for what came across to Sunnybrook. The hospital had been running mock code oranges for several months to prepare for events such as this, how to manage them, how to go into action. But in addition to that, the trauma teams here are trained in taking care of critically ill patients in the initial stages of trauma in what we call the critical hour, end of quote. Sunnybrook nursing staff learn how to deal with trauma patients through mandatory trauma nursing courses and all staff go through something called a tabletop exercise meant to bring together teams from across the hospital to run through a mass casualty scenario. Unlike a mock code orange this exercise doesn't involve simulated patients rather it's discussion based uh, with teams talking through in detail how they'd respond. After tragedies such as Monday's Magnitude, staff are debriefed, an exercise that encourages everyone to openly assess their teams and the hospital's performances to see if any lessons can be learned.
3: So during your nursing career you would have been involved in some of these code orange drills?
2: Absolutely. First of all, when you work in the ER you have to have very specific training and certificates One is PALS, Pediatric Advanced Life Support. ALS, Adult Advanced Life Support. uh, TNCC, which is your trauma, your ER trauma training. And you have to renew these either yearly or bi-yearly. And, of course, they have the the mock disaster scenario. And I got to tell you, it doesn't feel mock when you're doing it it's very real they they hire civilian citizens to do the acting and the scenarios are very real and you have to perform at your best it's not like you have an opportunity where you can just like say oh well i blew this mock thing today (laughs) so yeah it's it's pretty intense and it, it it helps it just reinforces all your training
3: yeah i bet i bet it would be intense some of these actors are quite good. <laughs> <laughs> but it would get you prepared for the real thing, God forbid. No, it does. It's uh it's it's amazing.
2: So, getting back to what we were saying, uh like I said, the victims included 10 people who died and 15 who were seriously injured. But the hospital, going back to the 911, the civilians and the police did an incredible job. Let's talk about once a trauma is over and the rooms are clean and there is no evidence that anything of that magnitude just happened. Trauma of another kind lingers. This is a job where you can't just walk away unaffected. This kind of massacre can stay with you for the rest of your life. And there are cases that will never leave me, that I have flashbacks from and some intrusive thoughts when I hear something or see something or smell something, it can trigger Thoughts and memories of some cases that I worked with. So I guess what I'm admitting to is that I have PTSD from my work as a trauma nurse, and I can admit to it now, and I would never have admitted to that before because you got to be tough. You can't, you know, that stuff. Not any good if you're if you're weak. But in fact, I, I didn't even know that I had PTSD until you know I started having anxieties and different things, and I realized that I just wasn't right. So I got help for it and I am doing way better now and it's it's a real thing ideally all staff involved after a trauma would be able to take a break and clear their heads and then later on be debriefed and supported but the fact is is that that rarely happens after an event like this we have to go back to what we were doing before the code our patients still need us There are still critically ill patients on the floor there are still patients walking through the door heart attacks just don't stop happening that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and then when the shift ends you go home and you have to put it somewhere so it's usually shoved in the back of your mind because you go home to your families and you have to carry on you're not going to talk about it you're not going to share it and you just have to get on with it but it does catch up with all of us i don't care what anyone says it affects us
3: all in our own way how could it not you know, if you if you have any sense of compassion and caring, which as a nurse I would think would be exceptional qualities that are needed, um, mm-hmm. and I know you've got them in spades. Uh, yeah, you couldn't not be heartbroken by some of the stuff that you've seen.
2: All the nurses that I've worked with, I can't think of one that didn't care very deeply. Just everybody deals with it in their own way, and some better than others. Okay, so let's talk about this piece of crap, Alec Manassian. I really don't want to give him any time, but unfortunately I think that we have to talk about what drove him to do it. Of course, it's all speculation right now, but if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, then quackety-fucking-quack, it is a duck. Facebook message was posted on Monday just before the attack, and it was posted by him. It came up in the media whether it was a hoax, whether it was a true message or not, and even you
3: and I had a bit of a debate about that. Mm. Remember? (laughs) Well, you never know because people, you know, jump on things and fake news and people have their own motivation for things, so...
2: I had a feeling that it was what it was. Legit. Sometimes is what's right in front of our face is what it really is. And maybe it's because I heard about uh, this incel group before, mm-hmm. and I could picture this kind of thing happening. What I don't understand is that what he was angry about and who he attacked are very different people. Not mm-hmm. that anybody should be attacked. Hear me out on that. I'm just saying it makes no sense. You know, anyway. So this Facebook post was kind of cryptic, especially if you didn't know what he was talking about or what he was referring to. And it went like this. Quote, Private Recruit Manassian Infantry 00010 Wish to speak to Sergeant 4chan C23249161 So that was the first part of the message. And he went on to say, the Incel Rebellion has already begun. We will overthrow all the Chads and Stacys. All hail Supreme Gentleman Elliot Roger. End of quote. So this is what he put up. Apparently it, he posted this just before he drove off and injured everybody. So I'm going to break this message down to help people understand and get inside this guy's head and see what what drove him. If this, in fact, what it was, but it sounds like it was. Before I break down and explain this very cryptic Facebook post, I want to talk about who this guy is. You want to know who he is, Mary? Which guy are we talking about? Alec Manassian. Okay. He's a 25-year-old male from Richmond Hill, Ontario, which is a city that's part of the GTA Greater Toronto area. He was a student at Seneca College since 2011. It's 2018. It's 2018. Seven years in college for computer sciences, studying computer software development.
3: Seven years not going anywhere. Yeah.
2: More and more information is coming out about him, and this is what I've gathered so far. An ex-high school classmate described him as quiet and socially awkward. He didn't seem to have too many friends. He was enrolled in Seneca College, like I said, 2011 to 2018, studying computer sciences and he never did graduate. So seven years in college, didn't graduate. He worked briefly as a quality assurance developer at Two Good Financial Systems for it looks like for five months. And he worked part time at a company called Naprico for four to six weeks. His work history is basically made up of many short-term stints of various companies in the IT division. So it looks like he just couldn't keep a job or wouldn't keep a job. Now, the military, his military career, if that's what you want to call it. Manassian attempted to become a soldier with the Canadian military, but left training after just two weeks. He was a member for only two months. Between late August 2017 and October 2017 he underwent basic training in Quebec but did not perform well. He didn't like to take orders. He didn't like to follow the strict protocol and he was often in trouble for insubordination. He asked to leave himself and received a voluntary release rather than a forced or medical release. So what was this guy like in the neighborhood at home? Basically, all I've gotten here is that neighbors described him as quiet, with one neighbor saying that he seemed a bit odd, that when he would walk around, he would shake his hands at his side. And if you tried to say hello to him, he wouldn't say anything. Well, that's not uncommon for many people, but it sounds like, you know, this guy was a bit odd, came across as odd and maybe antisocial. So let's talk about these incels. What is an incel? Do you have any idea?
3: I'd heard of incels briefly a bit before this, but not too much. Um, you you could probably describe it better than I can, so... was
2: oh, just wondering, because a lot of people had no clue what an incel was before
3: this. Well, I believe it means involuntary celibate. Did you know in, that before, in, or is this, is this something that sort of just comes to... I think I'd heard the term before this, but I wasn't as familiar with what it it meant. Um, I didn't know that there was this underlying hate and misogyny towards women I knew that it was you know a lot of people that were sort of well guys in particular that are sort of feeling disenfranchised and their inability to attain sex or relationships but I didn't know that there was this underlying simmering hatred and misogyny misogynistic um, rhetoric yeah it's
2: true that's you've hit it pretty much nail on the head. He was a self-imposed incel. Basically these seem to be what his motives for his killing spree are. So I think best way to go through this is now to break down the Facebook post. Okay? So let's get started. Let's go over it again. He refers to himself as Private Recruit Manassian Infantry 00010. He wished to speak to Sergeant 4chan C23249161. He's referring to a website called 4chan. It's a message board website where people post obnoxious abno- anonymous messages. Of course, it's anonymous, right? Because you know that's the, the, the brave thing to do things. It posts uh, messages and images, opinions that are fueled by hatred. Uh, it's racist, misogynistic, homophobic. It frequently uh, posts things like images of abuse of uh, and rape of women. It encourages rape and abuse of women. The members have a childish superiority complex. It's a place to go if you want to be offended. So if you feel like being offended and getting really pissed off, well, then go to 4chan and check it out because I think it would make the average person pretty sick. And I'm going to take that back. Don't go there because it's just not worth... Your time. Anyway, I went and checked it out just to check it out, see what was going on, to be publicly aware, and I was, I can't unsee what I saw. So the people there love all that is wrong in this world and feel completely entitled to feel that way. Don't waste your time, it is Gumbag Central. And this is what or who Manassian was referring to when he wrote Sergeant 4chan. The next line in his post says, The incel rebellion has begun. Alright, so what are incels? Short for involuntary celibates. Self-identified incels are men who espouse misogyny and blame women for their celibacy and constant rejection. They hang out on sites such as 4chan, reddit, and incels.me. Or dot me. The group has always propagated a clear hatred of women, with members often advocating for rape and other forms of physical and sexual violence towards women. And this only scratches the surface of who these scumbags are. The next line says, we will overthrow all Chad's and Stacey's. Well, what's a Chad and what's a Stacy? A chad is what incels describe as a stereotypical jock frat boy with an ego the size of the planet. They think they're the best at everything, love to talk shit, and are a general nuisance in every way possible. They always have a girlfriend who they can have sex with, and they can have sex with any woman they want, and girls seem to love chads. This is their definition, not mine. But, you know...
3: So the Chads are the the good looking dudes that that get the girls, basically.
2: Yeah, whoever they consider good looking, whoever they basically who they don't like that, what whatever male they don't like that has sex. They add all these other attributes on top of it, and that that that's a Chad. I think deep down inside the they wish that they were a Chad. This is just like a made up thing. I, I think of this in terms of a Ken in Barbie. It's nothing more than. You know, a doll that they dress up and decide to hate and add all these attributes to it. But I'm sure there maybe is a few chads out there, but you know what I'm saying. It's something they've made up. Stacys. Who are Stacys? Well, they are very attractive and beautiful women who are considered sluts by the incel. And I hate the word slut. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But this is an incel word. Okay? Did I tell you that I hated it? Mm Mm-hmm. So this is what the incels think of them uh they are they will only sleep with chads and intentionally tease and humiliate incels so that's why they want to overthrow them the last line says all hail supreme gentleman elliot roger for those of you out there that are familiar with true crime and crime will likely know who elliot roger is what he did almost Started and ignited this whole incel movement, bowel movement. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to call it when I have to to go to the bathroom. I'm going to say, I have an incel movement coming. No. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm trying to sort of work it in there, but. Because
3: they're pieces of crap? Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: See? I get it now. Incel movement, bowel movement. Pieces I got an incel coming out of my, my butt. Pieces of crap. Well, you know, I had to like get I had to get base on this. I had to get down to potty humor. Mm. Why not? It it works. So who is Elliot Roger? Well, on May twenty third, two thousand and fourteen, that is the date that Elliot Roger called his day of retribution. He killed six people and injured another fourteen. He began by killing his roommates, stabbing them to death. And one of their friends in a, an apartment in Isla Vista, or Isla Vista, I think it's Isla Vista, California, before hopping into his BMW and driving to Starbucks. Just so you know, he's is very wealthy uh, child of prominent Hollywood parents. Not anybody that you would know necessarily, but they were big into um, behind the scenes and on Hollywood stuff. So he lived a very privileged life. So he went to Starbucks and drank a coffee and recorded a video of himself and he announced that he was in his second phase at that point of his war on women. And this is what he said.
0: Hi, Elliot Roger here. Well, this is my last video, it all has to come to this, tomorrow is the day of retribution. The day in which I will have my revenge against humanity, against all of you. In front of you will finally see that I am, in truth, the superior one. The true alpha male. <laughs> yes. After I've annihilated every single girl in the sorority house, I'll take to the streets of Isla Vista and slay every single person I see there.
2: He is one of the creepiest, like not only do you know what he did and it makes you want to scream, but he's such a creepy, creepy guy. Anyway. So Roger decided that the women in the house were his ideal targets. He went up to the front door of the house, knocked on the door, and no one answered. Thank God. But that would not stop him because these two innocent women who happened to be walking on the lawn of this house, uh, he killed them. Catherine Cooper and Veronica Wise, who just were in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's just disgusting. He went on to injure 14 people when he traveled around the neighborhood uh, firing a gun at random from his car and he fatally shot a 20-year-old man. In the final section of his manifesto, he said, quote, I am the true victim in all of this. I am the good guy. End of quote.
3: That's your supreme gentleman. So is he saying that the good guy never gets the girl? Is that what he's trying to say? Yeah, well, that's what it sounds like. It, it wasn't his fault. He had to do this. Clearly. Yeah. Sounds like the disturbed one doesn't get the good, the, the girl. Yeah, it's
2: So he's he's been virtually canonized by the incel community. He's their god. They they have you know that there's uh t-shirts of him. Uh let's say supreme gentleman on him? So these guys are actually buying merchandise with That's his face just on it. Yeah.
3: Freaking disgusting. Yeah, it
2: is. T-shirts, mugs, you know, all that kind of stuff and wearing them proudly of Maybe. a mass
3: murderer. Maybe their birth control is their personality. <laughs> Can you say that can we say that <laughs> i don't know i remember a comedian saying that now she knows she just says now you know what i use for birth control my personality yeah <laughs> yeah well that's a good point
2: so alex manassian is now the newest hero of these group of lowlifes so i decided to go check out these sites to see their response to the massacre and i wish i didn't the things i read there made me furious I mean, I saw red. You probably heard me cursing because I was, yeah, you did. I was pretty pissed off. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm still pretty pissed off. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to let it go, but I'm having a hard time doing it. Maybe doing this podcast will help. And this is some of the information I found out. I'm not going to tell you the stuff I read, but I'm going to tell you the things that I found out more about these guys. So they are driven by a dangerous, misogynistic sense of entitlement. They are drawn together by the same frustration the inability to attract sexual partners who and they blame them for their lack of conquests and they blame the women they say they deny them the sex that they have coming to them and that the, the chads steal it away from them this frustration is voiced online on forums where angry men convince other men that their collective inability to land dates is a vast and unjust conspiracy they drive themselves into even more and more extreme beliefs and these beliefs include encouraging acid attacks rape and murder in retribution for society's failure to make sex easy for them you wouldn't believe the stuff that that i read you can see they get together and they just incite each other they just they egg each other on, so to speak, and come up with these stranger and stranger thoughts.
3: Sounds like a whole victim mentality. It's Some. it's it's horrible. I don't know if you've heard of Reddit. It's sort of like a, an online newspaper
2: type deal. And on Reddit, there are, it's full of subgroups where people can have subject matter that they can discuss. Like if you like Pokemon, you could be a subreddit Pokemon group and you can go and talk about your love of of Pokemon or your love of macaroni cheese or
3: my little pony, my little pony, (laughs) bromies, bronies, bronies.
2: That's it. Uh, so in 2017, Reddit banned a subgroup called incels. Do you know that this group had over 40,000 members, 40,000, but the site was closed down after Reddit, updated their policies to prohibit content that encourages glorifies incites, or calls for violence or physical harm against an individual or a group of people so you can imagine how they lost their shit over that it's like no they're out to get us we can't come together and talk here it's our right yeah. but the incels say that they're not violent and don't preach violence it's whatever I think they forget that we can read what they wrote. It's almost like they write it and they think it's like invisible ink, and then it's it disappears and no one no one reads it. It's ugh. so many of the band members of the Reddit group rushed to the website mes- message board called incels.me dot me, and they went there to continue wallowing in their misery and get in this and the in in their misery and giving into their hatred. There are posts that declare that gamer girls women who like video games deserve to be sexually assaulted and they call all women selfish for exclusively sleeping with the top percentage of males and claim that the blood of victims of terror attacks is on the hands of females comments not only agree with the original poster but often try to one up the violent rhetoric Incels' inability to connect with others may stem from a lack of social skills. But what they do is go to these sites to whinge and whine instead of pursuing relationships. When maybe if they just tried to be decent people, they would get dates. These men imagine themselves victims because they weren't blessed with good looks, money, and charm. What is that? What, what, what are good looks? Who decides who's good looking? How much money is enough, and what charm is charm? Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Exactly. I'm sure there's some people out there who take one look at me and go, Oh, God. And then there's you, who's got it right. (laughs) That's right. But you you get my point, right? Anyway. Like I said, maybe if these guys stop calling women selfish whores, they might actually get a date. The ugliness... On incel forums is dangerous, not only because it fuels hate and self-pity, because it often romanticizes and justifies violence and bolsters the belief that life without sex is meaningless. And this is what led Rogers to be treated as a martyr, and now Manassian as one too. I was going to read some of the responses to the victims of of the Toronto Massacre, but I decided not to because I'm not going to give a voice to their disgusting words, and I want to respect the victims, and I just, no one needs to hear it, and I honestly, as much as, like Mary said to me, I don't want to tell you what happened, I'm really asking you not to go and increase the, um, traffic the traffic to their websites because that's just going to fuel them and 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 i know i've said and talked about a lot of things here but i'm just trying to educate but i i really don't want to give these guys any kind of ear any kind of voice the voice i want to give is to the victims and to the to the heroes in my mind that help people so where is alec manassian now he is in jail and he has been before the courts and been charged with 10 counts of first degree murder and 13 actually 15 accounts of attempted murder and he's just awaiting the next stages of the legal process of the legal process and hopefully this won't take too long to go through and hopefully he'll get a swift and just punishment so that's where we are with him I think I'd like to end this episode by honoring the victims. I'm going to say their name and maybe we could just take a second in between to think about them and send our love and prayers to them and their families but also to the others that were injured. Okay? Butis Renuka Amirasingha, 45, of Toronto. Andrea Braden, 33, of Woodbridge. Geraldine Brady, 83, Toronto. Sohei Chung, 22, Toronto. Anne-Marie D'Amico, 30, Toronto Mary Elizabeth Betty Forsyth, 94, Toronto Chul Min Eddie Kang, 45, Toronto Ji-Hun Kim, 22, Toronto Munir Abdo Habib Najar, 85, Toronto, and Dorothy Sewell, 80, Toronto. Thank you for listening. Let's end this by saying, let's be kind to one another, let's take care of and love one another, and most importantly, love yourself. Peace, one love.
0: And we gather this evening to discover that our sorrow is reflected in the eyes of the stranger standing next to us. And so too is our hope for we have come believing that standing together, united, in grief is a defiant act of hope and healing in the face of evil. Where
1: there is hatred,
0: let your love increase. We, You know, we hear about these things like in London and Paris and all these different places you know but you see when something comes to your backyard it changes everything it changes your whole perspective of things and we want people to know that you know what this is Toronto we're all we're all one so Toronto right now is strong and it's necessary for us to be here to show our strength and to show the people the the families of the victims that you know what we are going to be with you at this time.